Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. July is underway and a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you can find it. From the NBA and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Bros Pod. Uh, Bill will not be with us today. He's traveling somewhere in some undisclosed location, somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, he'll be back with us next week. But instead, we have a very, very special guest today. We're going to talk about all things NBA Finals. Uh, we're going to talk about the COVID situation that's going on. And we're going to talk about my guest's new book his first book but of course we're here with brian fonseca my yes, brother yes, uh you know been rocking with this dude a long time he is a writer sports and all other things he's an award-winning creative he's host of the ain't hard to tell podcast you can check that out if you haven't i've been on there a couple of times mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun more, more than a couple <laughs> <laughs> we talk about all kinds of stuff sports uh hip-hop you, you, you never know what you're going to talk about when you go up, when you go on there. So check that out. And like I said, he's an author of the new book, Hidalgo Heights. Uh, the victims are taking up space. It's a realistic fiction novel. So we're going to talk about all that. Uh, but what's up, Brian? Thanks for joining us. Doing all right. Doing better than Team USA this morning or this afternoon. I will I say that. Filling up roster spots as we're recording this with Keldon Johnson and, and JaVale McGee replacing uh, Kevin Love and Bradley Beal. So it's looking dicey for that gold medal bet. So you better jump on that Australia plus 1,000 or whatever it is right now before that drops. <laughs> Which is crazy. I mean, we're just talking off air. I mean, they still got plenty of talent. Like, it's, it's wild that, you know, that people we were, we were like down on them thinking, you know, they, they better shoot for the bronze or the silver. You know what I'm saying? And they still got mad talent out there. Uh, led by Kevin Durant, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. It's, you know, we'll Pop, see. Got, Pop has to show and prove. Popovich has to show and prove, man. Yeah, that's yeah. Because his his, I think, I think the FIBA World Cup of 2019 was his first major Olympic tournament, uh, not Olympic tournament, uh, international tournament rather. And they finished seventh, which is not great. Now a little overblown because they did play well, and I think they went undefeated in group stage. What happened was when they lost. They lost to uh, France and then to Serbia, I believe it was, or the other way around, one or the other. But regardless, it was a, more of a matter of when they lost because, like, you know, they beat Poland and there was another team that finished right ahead of them. It might have been Czech Republic with Tom- Thomas Sadoransky, and they were like, you know, they didn't have a better record than Team USA or whatever. It's just Team USA lost at a bad time. They also didn't have anywhere near their best guys. Yeah, but they still had a lot of talent. Uh, especially relative to the other teams. 
uh, playing out there. I mean, you just can't lose twice. Like, I, I get anything happened one game. Yeah. You know, whatever. I'll give you that because this, you know, it's one, you know, one and out elimination game. I, I get that. But to lose t- two, <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, that's not supposed to happen. Look, I don't, I don't I, I'm I'm not. To- I think they'll figure it out. But now you're going to just bring in a whole bunch of new guys. That, like, I don't know if they'll uh, win the gold. That's just, I don't know if they'll do that at this point. We'll see. They still have of everybody the best top end talent. Yeah, yeah. Name name the name the squad for the people right now. Right. It's it's Kevin Durant. It's Jason Tatum. It's Damian Lillard. Zach Levine. Bam Adebayo and Draymond Green, who are your rim protectors and also your best passers and most unselfish players. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, Keldon Johnson. <laughs> At JaVale McGee. Keldon Johnson's a good player. I like Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson's a good player. Yeah, he's not, but, yeah. but he's not like I put him on Team USA in the Olympics good. And then JaVale but McGee. He, but he's Nigeria good. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? JaVale McGee is a champion. So all of a sudden we're putting like, I don't know. I just feel like it's dicey. There's COVID uh, in Japan right now. There's no fans allowed at the Olympics. And yeah, on top yeah. of that, you have basically a situation where there's another shutdown out in Japan and all these countries and the representatives are about to come in athletes and otherwise and flood Tokyo, which is an enormous place that has all these health issues and things going on right now that they need to take care of. And if I'm a player right now on short notice, do I really want to abruptly head to Japan? If it's my one chance at Team USA, maybe, but ah, I don't I get, know. Man. I guess they do. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's their decision. I mean, they could they could have said no. So I guess they they do want to hop over to Japan, like you said, Tokyo. But there are a lot of guys saying no, though. Yeah, I guess you know, like have- John Morant. John Morant was a big one, and I think he would actually be perfect on this team because they need somebody who could you know make place for others. So we know he said he said no publicly. He he tweeted that out. Yeah, okay. he tweeted out, like, you didn't want me before, then all right, whatever. Like, he said, you know, one of them cryptic things that mm. these, ki- these kids even younger than me are doing nowadays. <laughs> and then Trey, you had Trey Young, uh, you know, tweeting ba- tweeting basically that he wanted to go, that he was basically insulted that they didn't they didn't ask him. That's crazy. So, and but I, still- get, I get it because of the playoffs. He played deep into the playoffs and he's hurt. Yeah, that's true. Which is why I don't think Drew Holiday and and – Devin Booker and Chris Middleton are going to end up going out there after the finals. I don't, I don't see it personally. I could, I definitely, I think I could see Booker pulling out, but I, I could, I could definitely see Middleton and Drew still going because I don't think they're going to get this opportunity too many more times or maybe ever again, or they might think that, that maybe, that's a possibility. Yeah. So I could see them, them going to take advantage of their, of their newfound fame, especially if they win the whole thing, you know, which is possible. You know what the crazy thing is that like, so we're guaranteed six games in the right. finals. The finals would end, let's say if it ends Tuesday, if it goes six games. The Olympics start three days later. Now, if it goes to game seven, you're going, di- like, as soon as you pop the champagne or you lose and you're sad or whatever, you're on the flight to Japan. You know what I mean? And, you know, the time differential, whatever, you're going to get there late. <laughs> the first game, by the way, is July 25th, which I believe is Sunday, next Sunday. And they're going to play against France. And right. France is good. Yeah, like France is one of the best teams in the Olympics all the time. They beat right. them in the World Cup a couple of years ago. I don't remember. I, I haven't looked at their roster uh, in the last couple of days, like their official roster, to see like how many NBA guys are there. But they always have NBA guys and very high level international guys because France also has one of the best pro leagues outside of the United States. Well, 
your boy Gobert is going to be there, right? I think he's on the team. I think Pretty so. Sure. I yeah, and I'm going to. And I think Fournier is on the team. Fournier, who killed them uh, in the World Cup. He had 20 something. I'm trying to remember what exactly it was, but. That French roster is usually really good. They give them problems, and you know, <laughs> I wonder. If start, Frank, I wonder if Frank Nilkina made the squad to start off your Olympic roster like that. Oh boy! So your current roster of the 2020 Olympics. This is according to uh, the wiki, but whatever. You know, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is more accurate than people yeah, want to yeah, get credit yeah, for. Yeah, it. That's how I got here. Okay, I wouldn't have gotten okay. through high school and college. Wow. So of the notables, right? Nicholas Batum is there. Okay. Solid. Nando DiColo is there. Nando DiColo, uh, who played in the NBA for a little bit, is actually one of the best players out there in EuroLeague. Okay. And has been for a while. Evan Fournier, Rudy Gobert, both listed here. Timothy Luabo Cabarro, Frank Nielakina, mm-hmm. Vincent Poirier, Gerson Yabuselli. There's a bunch of NBA guys on that team. Right. Like yeah. this is a good uh, that's probably roster. their that's probably their strongest competition, really. Yeah. So there's a bunch of NBA guys on the team. And now I'm pulling it up from NBC. And yeah, this is the exact same roster. So that was Wikipedia, you you did your thing. You All know right. What I'm All right. <laughs> Shout out to Wikipedia. Damn, they could lose that first game. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be that wouldn't be surprising at all. It's better to lose then than you know once you get out the pool play. Oh boy. You know? So they're in the same, they're in Francis Pool. They're in Francis Pool. So and the thing is too, like this is from my understanding, because I follow this stuff. And I remember in the 2016 Olympics, it was still standard the way they had been doing it for however long, where it was two groups of six. And now in this one, when I was looking up the groups or whatever, it's three groups of four. So it's a little bit different now. And the top eight will still advance to the knockout stage. It'll be the top two from each group, and then they'll take the next two best ones from there. Um, I don't recall if there's a game necessarily to determine that. But, mm-hmm. like, the group play is going to be very interesting because the United States has a tough group. They actually do. Like, they have France. They have Czech Republic also where Thomas Sadaransky had the surprising FIBA World Cup finish. They were either fifth or sixth. And then Iran, who everybody's probably going to be on. Sorry, Iran, no offense, um, in that group. And then, and that's group, uh, what is that, group A or B? doesn't matter, actually. So that's one of the groups that you're talking about there. And right. then other than that, it's, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in the Olympics. So let me stay on this Olympic thing. And you mentioned it before in terms of, uh, the COVID situation. Um, Tokyo had the most cases since had its most cases since January uh, this past Wednesday. So they're going in the wrong direction. We already have. So are we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're going in. Yeah, in this country, we're going in the wrong direction. We know. We know why. Uh, you got like Bradley Beal is out. We, we talked about that. He's out of the Olympics mm-hmm. due to COVID. You had six Yankees. Um, mm-hmm. You know test positive for COVID, um, I guess, over the All-Star break or, or right after they returned. And that game yesterday, with you know, the Yankee-Red Sox game yesterday was canceled because of that. I, what are we doing? Are we, are we going backwards here with this COVID? What do you, you think is going on? Didn't we read about the Yankees getting the Johnson & Johnson? <laughs> you know, know. I, I think the Yankees, I'm pretty sure the Yankees got that Johnson, that J&J. <laughs> and we, and look, when I saw... Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you're not... You're not uh, Johnson and Johnson slander here. Are you? You're not going there. 
No, no, but I'm saying like their vaccine, the efficacy was noticeably lower. Are you saying whoever got that is uh, it's a wrap for them? <laughs> I'm just saying I wouldn't have. I, look, I wouldn't have got the Pfizer. My my parents I know got Moderna. My brother got I think Moderna or Pfizer. He works mm-hmm. in the hospital, so I trust that. Mm-hmm. And look, the, I need I saw 95 percent efficacy. I was like, all right, we're not doing the, the Johnson Johnson was like 70, 80, 80 or something I think it was like 80%. That. Something so like that. I, I think a lot, I think probably athletes wanted to get it over with one shot done and got the or, or no shots and, and done. Then, or then, or then, let's also remember you could still you could still contract the disease regardless of whatever vaccine you got. Right, yeah. You, can, you still could. Small just, percentage, but right. still depends on can, the people around you. Right. And it and it just means that you won't get as sick, um, or you, you know, you may not have any symptoms. The thing, the thing that's interesting with, with this is that the athletes are the ones, are the people in this country who get tested, like ev- are still getting tested every day. So it's kind of yeah. like if we all, even though we're all vaccinated, you know, or some of most of us are vaccinated, most people I know are vaccinated, I know you're vaccinated. Yeah. Um, if we were still getting tested every day, some of us would probably still have it. You know what I'm saying? We'd, it'd yeah. probably, so, so it's funny that it's the, it's the guys who are getting tested every day it's probably just a reflection of what it really is out here for everybody else. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a great point. I mean, I, and and they have the access to all these things, right? Right. Like they're able to get tested every day or whatever. Like I, you and I are not, we're like, we're not trying to go to a place, wait in line every right. other day or, you know, however long it's going to be and just get tested, you know, for the hell of it. Like they have to, because, you know, they're actually traveling and in contact with a lot of people every different day. I get it. Like there are some, there are days where I don't leave the crib. I'm sure you're probably the same way today. It's like, you know, I'm going to just stay out here, do what I got to do. But we know that the plan, whether it was Joe Biden's plan or whomever, um, was to have the country sort of ready, quote unquote, July 4th. Which, right. you know, 70%, I think 70% is the threshold they wanted to get to in terms of vaccinations or whatever. And right. I'm not sure where we are now, but we ain't that close to 70%. No, we're like, I think we're like just a little over 50% yeah. in terms of at least at least one shot. And I think that's for, for people over 18. You yeah. know, if, you, if you include children, we're like in the 40s, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so it, we're moving at a slow rate. And we're not going to reach herd immunity, not to sound alarmist here, but we're not going to reach herd immunity by the end of the summer because there are still a lot of people having their doubts, don't want to take the vaccine like Bradley Beal's wife hinted right. at before, which is ironic now, given that it seems that COVID uh, is preventing him from being in the Olympics. His dream. Yes, which I, which would have been his first Olympics because he did, was not on the 2016 team. He wasn't even like an all-star level, like right. recurring all-star level type of dude yet. Like this was his best chance. We'll see in the next, you know, couple of years um, because the Olympics, the next one will be in three years from now. Right. And it's just very hard because a lot like a lot of people are getting vaccinated. And then there are a lot of people who aren't still like we have all the information. We talked about this in our group chat yesterday with Gerard and Dex. We, we have the information. We have the vaccines. And a lot of people are just like, nah, when there are other countries around the world who obviously aren't as privileged, don't have the information, don't have the data or have the information, but can't really act on it. And they can't get the access to these vaccines. And we're over here just being typical ignorant Americans about it and just, you know, rejecting science for our own ideals and 
acting like certain things can't coexist and it's you know it's it's ridiculous at this point like it's it's actually kind of infuriating so i mean to tie it back into the yankees i don't know what that situation was like i don't know if the guys who all you know um you know if they all were vaccinated and you know something just happened we don't know know, you know what i mean but there was an outbreak and it's just to remind you with bradley beal with the yankees with whomever like this is not over and no, yeah, yeah, we might be back. We might be back. We might be back at home in the fall. We might have yeah, to like, go know. back. You like it, all these companies are like, "Hey, come back." Offices, you know, September, October, we're opening. Hell no! Hell no! That no, no. We we can't. We can't be doing that now. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, the variant has me thinking. You know, it just it sounds. It just feels a lot like the beginning of this. Remember, it was it was uh, basketball that shut that that led the shutdown. In yeah. general, I'm not. I don't think we'll ever get shut down again to, to the way we were because, first of right. all, it is really only not only, but it's mostly affecting in terms of getting sick uh, people who are unvaccinated. And like you said, we talked about before. There's already over fifty percent or so that that are vaccinated in the country. So, and that that will go up. So, and then people are so eager, like businesses and corporations, so eager to get you know make this money back to get oh. back to whatever normal is. That they're they're going to continue to force people to come in. I don't think that's going to stop. They're just going to they might oh. they might force you to get vaccinated, which may be a good thing. I'm reading articles in Slate, in maybe the New York Times or Forbes and public and different publications talking about more Americans are quitting their jobs than ever before, like four million or something like that. It may be a climbing number, and this this is all within the last like month in terms of like when these numbers are getting reported. So it's higher now because there are a lot of people saying like, look, during COVID, I was able to save X amount of money by not doing this, not doing that, not having to commute, not having to do this. So now it's like, oh, I appreciate my quality of life more so I can quit this job and try to get something else popping, whether it's remote work or right. whether it's a temp job to as a stopgap to my next thing and things of that nature. Like, I think people are thinking a lot differently about it. So these corporations who don't really adapt and who mandate that these that all of us working class individuals have to come into work every single day. If you can't really work with your staff or your people on that, they're going to leave you because they can do that now more than ever before. You can't hold rent over everybody's heads after a pandemic because a lot not a lot of people because there were plenty of people uh, who weren't able to get work. But there are people who. You know, they're like, look, I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm going to go find something else that works out in the meantime or just sort of enjoy my life a little bit before having to go back to work. People can make those decisions now. Right. And, all you know, more power to them. I'm happy. Make your, make your own decisions, people. You know, protect yourselves. Nobody else is looking out for you. So look out for yourself. Let's uh, let's talk. Let's get back to the NBA finals. Um, 2-2, as, uh, as you well know, 2-2. Yeah. Headed back to Phoenix for game five. You know, when it was 2-0. Phoenix, and we talked about this on some platform. You know, when it was two, everybody was like, "It's over." Phoenix in four, Suns in four. To you know, punch, punch the dudes in the face, Suns in four, Suns in five. Everybody's just was so so positive that the series was over because of those first two games. We we warned people, "Yo, yo, slow down. This is how things. This is the NBA Finals. You know, Milwaukee gets to play at home too. Relax." And they actually took care of business. They were a little shaky game four, I thought. You know, I, watching that game, I was surprised they were able to pull it out. 
because it looked like Phoenix was going to take that one. But Milwaukee takes it. It's two two. We head back to Phoenix. What do you where do you see it at now? What are your thoughts so far in the series? I think that well, obviously people jump the gun, you know, because we do this all the time. Like after we see even just game one, people will be like, "Oh shit!" Like how is this other team going to come back? It's over, whatever, whatever. And then after two, it's like Phoenix won both their games at home. Like they they took right. care of home court. Now we have to give the other team the opportunity. To, to do that same thing, which Milwaukee did, and especially the first game, which is very impressive. And in game two, like, despite Devin Booker having a big game and then getting into foul trouble, um, fouling out according to many people. Right. Uh, Chris Paul, you know, didn't have a great showing, and I think that led to what Milwaukee ended up doing in terms of closing out that game. Chris Middleton was great. Drew Holiday wasn't good offensively, but he was very good defensively. And... Giannis, I mean, he had like a, for him, I guess, a pedestrian game. But if you look at what he was doing, it was still very good. And he had one of the best blocks you've probably ever seen. Like, I I, I still lean Phoenix in seven, which is what I sort of went into this series thinking. But I would not be surprised at all if Milwaukee, you know, off the back of Giannis, because everybody at their peak, Giannis is the best player in this series. Right. Everybody at their highest level, like Giannis proven something to me and to probably a lot of other people that he hadn't had before. And just it's not necessarily his ability to take over games because he could do that already. But it's to make just signature plays at these moments where his team needs him the most. And granted, the team is inconsistent. It's been inconsistent during the playoffs or whatever. And they haven't had like an awesome playoff run. Right. But like without Giannis. We're not even talking about anything of the sort because they just don't have anybody else. Like he is the guy who at this point, you know, all the time, every night he's going to come in and he's going to walk into, you know, whatever it is, 32, 13 and six or something like that. He'll get to the free throw line 15 times and he'll make 11 or 12 of them. Like last year against Miami, for example, he wasn't quite doing that and they made it very difficult on him. And, you know, Miami was gassed I think from the bubble you know uh, Mm -hmm. after the fact because they flamed out in the playoffs as did everyone else who went to the bubble final four Boston Lakers Denver so Milwaukee was able to take advantage of that but I think I think Giannis has reached a new level I really do and I think that I have a confidence in watching him more than I did before uh, because while he's still taking too many jump shots for my liking contested ones especially he's minimizing that a little bit more and working more as a a, a pick and roll like the role guy in a pick and roll situation as a center uh posting up guys even he's posted up jay crowder a bunch of times Mm -hmm. this series passing out of the post finishing around there just getting his shots and not trying to work as hard doing the as tyrese halliburton put it halfback dives where he's back backing up 27 feet out and about to charge into you. And you know, he's going to Euro step or maybe spin. Like he's just making it easier on himself. And now he has to continue that on the road. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, you know, originally I had Milwaukee in seven, I know it would be seven game seven was on the road, but I just felt like this was an evenly matched series and I liked Milwaukee a little more. So I had Milwaukee in seven. I'm going to stay with that. Um, I think, the home team wins the next two games. And then, you know, they always say game seven, anything could happen. So I think that's going to be the case here. And, and maybe Milwaukee, you know, squeaks it out, squeaks out of game seven. So I'm going to stick to that prediction. You're right. Giannis, he, like you said, he put up a pedestrian, what, 20 something and 15. For him. Yeah, yeah. For, for, for him. 
And also Phoenix adjusted, right? They kind of tried to put that wall together that they mm-hmm. obviously didn't have in you know they didn't have uh, in game three and game two. Um, so they played him a little tougher. But you know, you mentioned last year where Miami was able to shut him down. Milwaukee has a better team now. Like he has he has a little bit more around him now. You yeah. know, with Holiday, of course, and Portis, and even uh, Forbes. Even though Forbes hasn't done anything in this series, but um, you know, so he has a, a little better team here. So that um, that's helping him out a little bit too, and like you said, he's he's made his own adjustments. I like I like the uh, the fadeaway, you know, f- you know, in the post fadeaway, Jay he's added to his game. Yeah, so not, yeah, hey, yo, it's a difficult shot, but I mean, you know this shit better than I do. A lot of the great bigs, they have that. Right. A lot of the great bigs, like they have that in their arsenal, and that's something that at six eleven, like yeah, he should have that, and he's 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 making them. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's getting inside. He's you know, putting a body on you, creating enough space with his strength and then making it. Remember, he was a skinny kid years ago. Like he oh, yeah. now he he came into the league. He might have been. I don't even think he was 6'11 yet. I think he was like 6'9, 210, something like that, that they were listing him. I'm trying to remember. I now I've seen him listed like 6'11, 250. Right. Can, oh, he's a he's a big dude now. Yeah. You know? and, it, and him hitting those shots shows you he has he has some more skill than we give him credit for. Even with the year, like you mentioned, the Euro step that. He has some moves like that's like he's not just some stiff, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, dude who, who, who's running straight ahead, like in a straight line and dunking on people like, the yeah. dude, he's a little better than we, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, the dude is a two time MVP and we're, I'm, I'm here like making excuses for it. Like I'm yeah. trying to like, but oh, you, he doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he is a he's a two time MVP. I think what it is, is like he has moves. You see it more on the inside and the post mm-hmm. on the perimeter. He doesn't have like what some of these guards have, nor should he because he's right. 6'11". But you see it in the post like he has very good footwork. Right. He can create shots. He can make shots at different tough angles and things like that. Use his strength, have the fade away like we talked about. Like, And we're seeing it more, especially like deep into the playoffs in these last couple of games or so or really last three games where he's not trying to play out of the perimeter so much as he's more so getting inside or being the role guy and he's being a little more creative down low. Like, I think that's the sort of Giannis that I wanted to see uh, before this because I feel like that's where he can be really effective in a way that's different. Like, he doesn't need to try to play the game the way that uh, a Chris Paul or Devin Booker does or a James Harden does, for example, who, you know, has gone at him before for his quote unquote lack of skill. Like, you know, just abuse people from the inside. Like he needs to realize he's closer to Shaq than he is LeBron, if anything. And even LeBron didn't get a jump shot for a while. Like he had, it took years to develop that for, for it to become reliable. Like he really became a knockdown shooter probably when he went to Miami. If not yes. slightly before like, that. Yeah, or a little little after. Like after remember yeah. remember that when he lost that first uh championship to Dallas, they were daring him to shoot and yeah. gun and got in his head. So I would say like after that, he probably, you know, concentrated the night, you know, he was like, This is not gonna happen to me again. And that's when he said he said, you know, that's it. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna start knocking down this J. And I, you know, as far as Giannis, remember, I always said during the regular season, I liked he was take I liked the fact that he was taking those J's. Like, to me, it was like practice, you know, he's like yeah. Like we we all want Ben Simmons to at least shoot it. So now so now he's at the point where teams Giannis is at the point where teams at least know he will shoot. So you have to at least you know somewhat contest, and that's all that has to give him more space. Just you know logically, like if if you feel like you have to even fake a contest, that gives you more space than if you know he's not going to take it at all. 
You know what I'm saying? So he's created more space for himself, I think. I would say he does every now and then he takes a shot you don't want him to take. You know what I'm saying? Like the pull just, up ones. Yeah, he dribbles, dribbles, he dribbles up, dribbles into into a three. You're like, no, no, no. Yeah, save those. save that for the regular season. Okay, yeah. until, until you get better at that. But you know, he's he at least limits those and he's taking like no more than two of those a game. So I'm happy with what where Giannis is what Giannis is doing so far. But let's talk. Let's talk about the big deal in your life right now. Um, <laughs> you know, forget all this NBA nonsense. As I mentioned, you're you're an author now, a distinguished a distinguished author. Uh, your new book, Hidalgo Heights: The Victims Are Taking Up Space. It's a realistic fiction novel. Uh, when, when did it come out? Uh, Amazon will say May 25th, but it was really June 1st. That was like sort of a uh, uh, I don't know how to call it a prelude or whatever. But June mm-hmm. first, we'll go with June first. So, so t- first, tell me about the book. Oh, it's very layered, and that's the thing people are going to realize. And it's written in a way that I think people see is almost set up to be a show, as much as it is a narrative, uh, and that's that's pretty intentional. There's a lot going on there. There's obviously you know degrees of racism and. Uh, identity politics that go on in certain communities, in this case, a lot of Latino ones. Um, there's a lot of sports involved, which is kind of, I don't even want to say the backdrop because it's in some ways the forefront of certain things that goes on, but it ties into not in terms of like the results as much as it is how much they sort of impact everything else and how much these kids, these four kids and really five kids, because there's a fifth one on the back, well, how these four on the front uh, are sort of using that in a way that is very, it could be very detrimental. It could be helpful. Like they're trying to figure that out. You know, this from shit, the up next pod, you talk to these kids, like they're uh, these, they sort of embody that where it's like the biggest years potentially of their existence could be right now because it's a constant battle for survival. And it's like, shit, this scholarship, if I can get good enough at this thing can be a way out, but then I have to deal with all this other stuff. And, you know, could I really like, do I have time to sort of play AAU in the summer or do I have to work? You know what I mean? Like, and it's all these different things that are going on. So it's, it's really, if I could sum it up just more efficiently, it's about, at least from a Latino point of view, how these sort of, uh, systemic things that we see in America really affect everything else. Like it trickles on down and it affects everything else that we experience. Like literally every single thing you could think about. And it starts off from the top, like from even from the very, there's a prologue, but even the very first chapter, there's a, I will spoil this part, a part where these four are trying to get to a place and they're jumping the turnstile. And then there's a cop there. There's a little confrontation and mm-hmm. that's where we begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right there, you get the sense where as Bomani Jones calls it, just two Americas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, there's one cop who like really wants to get on them. And the cop that he's with is like, no, just leave him alone. Like who cares, whatever. And yeah, there's a whole thing about that. So it's fair. It's, it's, it's a lot of different points of view because there's a lot of different people involved and not everyone's a hero. That's for damn sure. Right. Is it is it uh, in any way like biographical in nature? Like, <laughs> I'm just curious, like, did, are you telling your own story or part of your own story at all? There's elements like that. I mean, uh, 
a bunch of it is based on real life, obviously, because it's realistic fiction. Like there's no, you know, jetpacks or superheroes and things like that. Not knocking, you know, that kind of stuff because <laughs> Marvel puts out great shit. You know what I mean? Like DC and all that. Like they put out great shit. Um, this is not necessarily what I uh, specialize in or where I'm trying to go with it. Um, I would definitely join one of the writing rooms. So I'll tell you I that hear, right I now. Hear <laughs> I hear that. But yeah, no, um, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not biographical in a sense like like that. Like, but there definitely are two, perhaps two and a half, one obvious one, uh, characters, character that uh reflects uh, a little bit of me. I will say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then there there are other scenarios that, um, you know scenes if you will that are in there that have actually happened or variation of it happened or i know what happened and i'm adding a little to it for the purposes of this narrative and showing you uh where things could go like um in chapter 10 i know there's one that uh coincidentally is also involving a cop uh that's a little more serious than the situation that i laid out not a lot um, of cops involved huh okay. yeah j- just a couple different times you know <laughs> not not too much like he He's not even one of the characters that um, the officer's not even one of the characters where like he pops up a lot. But when he pops up, you're like, oh, this mother, like, you know what I mean? Like this dude, like, get him out of here, man. You know, but uh, or 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 you could be on the other side politically and be like, yo, let him do his job. He's doing the right thing, whatever, because that's the thing here. Like, I'm not even position positioning this to like pick a side necessarily. I mean, if you know me, you know where I'm at. Right. if, if you're watching this, you see the shirt, like you already, you know what the deal is, you know, right, right. for the, for the listeners, he has a, a nice Colin Kaepernick shirt on. <laughs> right. You know <laughs> I'm saying? right. So, but the thing is, if, if you have a certain other point of view, there's something you can take away from this too, because again, like the characters, like they can't be a straight line, like David Simon, when he did the wire, and I'm not saying this is that. Mm-hmm. So don't get me twisted. But David Simon, David Simon, when he did The Wire, like, no, he's not going to agree with all the characters he created for that narrative. Right. But I mean, like this, because then you're going to tell what's what kind of story are you really telling? You have to have, you know, um, people on different sides of the spectrum. So there's a bunch of characters here, uh, most of whom are Latino or black Mm -hmm. and um, very few of them are white, if I'm being honest about it. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty intentional. Like that's sort of what it is. And the reason why there are so many, I mean, we talk, we've, I've, we've talked about in the Heights on the ain't hard to tell podcast. And there was right. a whole thing about like their mm-hmm. lack of a uh, Afro Latino uh, representation on the cover here. I'm not saying I nailed this either comparatively, but like, this was a thing that I was cognizant of this black man here is Cuban, mm-hmm. Afro Cuban, black dad, a uh, Cuban mom. And I was like, look, I can't tell this story and not have a black person on the cover because Latinos, there are many Latinos who identify as black. And the thing is that you can't tell, and I've said this before, you can't tell the story about, you know, Latinos without black people because Mm -hmm. the liberation and all these sort of things and Haiti and the Dominican Republic and black Puerto Ricans from, you know, like we're all over the place. You go to Washington Heights and not all the Latinos are going to look light skinned like me. There's going to mm-hmm. be a lot that look like this kid right here, whose name is Elzar. Right. You know what I mean? So and and the girl next to him is also she's not even uh, not next to him, but over here, she's not even Latino. She's mixed. Mm-hmm. She's a uh, black dad, a white mom. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like it, it's covering it's covering a lot of ground. Um 
And, you know, it was tough to put together because it's obviously an ambitious effort, but I have some other things up my sleeve that I want to get to as well. But I, I generally, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a slow build, but I think that a lot of people, once they get their hands on it, uh, they're going to enjoy it. I really do. And I think they're going to enjoy it and take stuff away from it and, um, you know, understand like, like this can resonate with you, whether you're, you know, uh, Latino, whether you're black, whether you're Indian, which my publicist is, mm-hmm. and she and it resonated with her in a specific way. Her family likes it and all this stuff. You're white. You could resonate with it in some in some ways. Doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely built around Latinos because that's my background and what I know. And we don't have a lot of shit like this out there. But at the same time, it could resonate across with a lot of different people. I feel like in different ways, like so everybody will be able to take something from it. The the title. Um, yes. what, how did you come up with it and what, what does it mean? I made, I came up with a bunch and then I kind of hit my girlfriend up and was like, all right, pick one because <laughs> right, right, right. So I wasn't that, sure. That sounds about right. Yeah. I wasn't sure which one to go with, but like, it's kind of an ironic title. Like Hidalgo Heights is obviously the name of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and it's, it's based on a fictional, uh, sort of city in New York City, kind of think mm-hmm. about, you know, a cross between the, you know, Bushwick, mm-hmm. like old school Bushwick, though, mm-hmm. not like new movie set Bushwick, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like pre coffee shop days, you know, right. the, the neglected part of Bushwick mixed with like Spanish Harlem a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. just not as glamorous at all, really. But like, you know, the the, the grimier working class, like super working class parts of those places. And the victim, the victims are taking up space. It's kind of like, it's, it's not even twofold, but it's, it has multiple meanings. It's like the victims are being, you know, they're these kids, for example, and their families, because they grow up with families in these different places and they're taking up space. And a lot of people, that's, that's sort of how they look at them. A lot of people from the outside, because like when we talk about like working class and poverty and things like that, like a lot of people assume like that's on those people that are from there. Right. They're just taking up space and we have to get them out of there. We have to like gentrify and we right. have to do all these different things. So that's sort of where that comes from, really. Um, and I think that a lot of people just see them as they're not victims, even though they are. And they're just taking up space, even though they're not. They're supposed to be here, too. You know what I mean? Like, the point, and Sky Zoo was talking about this, who we had on the podcast recently, because a lot of his album covers gentrification. And a lot of New York City is like, yo, we don't have to get all the people out of here who have been here to make these neighborhoods better. You know what I mean? So it's kind of the same thinking here, where it's like, we don't have to tell these kids to fuck off with their ambitions and, you know, make their lives harder or whatever and discard them, we should actually be trying to help them. We should actually be trying to help them and things of that nature. But it's, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. So that's basically where the title comes from. And then finally, so what made you, what made you write it? Like what was the, the inspiration uh, behind, you know, behind the novels, something you always want, I'm assuming you always wanted to write a book, but, you know, what what was the specific uh, inspiration? Yeah, I want to do more creative writing and I've always wanted to. I just didn't really have the time to pursue it until COVID happened. And we're a month in. It was in April. 
it was in April. And I really came up as a creative writer for, as a creative writer first and a sports writer. Like I was taking screenwriting classes and things like that. Like I was really going down that path, but that's very hard to get into. And I've always loved sports and sports was always the thing I was interested in. But I like I knew on some level I was like, I want to do uh, I want to go the creative writing route, uh, especially with the way the sports media industry is it's fucking awful. Um, not to say that the other one is a lot better, but shit, I'll probably be a lot more liberated over there. Um, the thing about the creative writing uh, stuff is that like in April, this is when COVID was really bad in New York. So right. let's put ourselves back there momentarily. Mm-hmm. COVID was really bad. It was a Sunday and we just had nothing but time. We were like, yo, like what old shit? Like we were rewatching shows, playing old video games, da 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 da, whatever. And I had accepted a job the day before Rudy Gobert tested positive that fell through. So I was basically not really working at the time. You know what I mean? Like I was freelancing a little bit, but I wasn't really making like much of anything like that. I'm playing NBA Street Volume 3 of all games, which came out in 2005. I just put on my 360, which I still have. I wanted to see if it worked. And then I was like, yo, in in the game, I was looking because you could create a court. And after you create a court, you can make your own little neighborhood. So I'm making this court. I'm putting cracks in it because I'm making it look bad. And I talk about this in the prologue, not necessarily from that perspective, but I'm the, what I'm describing is the court that I kind of made in that game. Mm-hmm. And video games sort of have a lot to do where where my uh, sort of creativity comes from, I guess, because I play video games like a motherfucker. And I'm creating this court. I'm creating the neighborhood around it. And it looks kind of destitute. And it looks like a place that kids would be at where, like, even though it's broke, it's like it's ours. Like, we're grinding through. Like, we're coming here. Like, this is our this is our place. This is our hood. We love this. And we're going to one day come back and invest whatever, whatever. And then five minutes later, I'm like writing an outline for this story. And I'm like, yo, like this could actually like turn into something. And then I tell Dexter, I tell my girl, I'm like, yo, I think I think this is something I'm going to try to do. And then throughout the spring and summer, I'm basically working on it and the fall, whatever. And, you know, eventually after the first draft, uh, you know, made it a lot better because the first draft was super raw and (laughs) wasn't very good uh, compared to, you know, where I think it's better now. And um, yeah. And then it got done. So really it was COVID. It was NBA street volume three. It was time. And it was just really the desire to go down this path. And another thing I would say was like, just the absence of like us having these sort of things. Like remember we, we, we did picks and props yesterday, and Dexter was like, yo, th- this was after the show, but it resonated with me. He's like, think about who are the who are the Latino authors that we have right now, you know, that are actually doing this, that have a background in sports, but also have a background in doing this. And I'm like, uh, Shea Serrano. And I don't you know, like it's a very <laughs> it's a very short right, list. So, right, right. you know, he's saying, like, even though it's not you know, it's not necessarily like a, a bestseller or anything like that at the moment. And, yep. and the sales aren't like, you know, super, super high yet. He's like, you should be proud that you at least did it. And the people that are reading it are enjoying it very much. I will say that too. So the feedback has been great. It's just, you know, we're just trying to get it out there more and more. So yeah, hopefully people go to Amazon and go get that because it's independently published. So plenty of that money's going right to me. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right, you'll right. help out. You'll help out an independent creative more than you'll help out a, a, a corporation. I'll say that also. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No, no, it sounds great. I'm definitely going to read it. Um, 
and you know, of course, all the all, all of our listeners should check it out. Um, Hidalgo Heights, the victims are taking up space. Obviously, a lot went into it. Comes straight from the heart. A uh, different yeah. perspective that's needed for sure. Hey, man, it's it's early. It's early in this process. You never know yeah. when when people are going to start picking this up and reading it, and then it could just you know like you know go viral like like they say now. Yeah, I mean, look, it, like my example, and I, again, I'm not saying this is this, but Illmatic took seven years to go platinum. That's right. Uh, Reasonable Doubt took five. Right. And the reason it did is because the blueprint came out. People went back to Jay's old shit. Uh, Stillmatic came out. People went back to Nas's old shit. shit. Illmatic took two years to go gold. You know right. what I mean? Because it was written, came out. Right. And The Wire, people... The ratings were low and then people didn't determine it was a cult classic until years after it was off air and not even airing anymore. So these things take time. And I'm not saying it's that necessarily, but I do envision it becoming a, a show down the line. And I think when people like it may sound I don't know if that sounds arrogant or whatever, but I think when people read it, they'll see like, oh, OK, this this makes a lot of sense. Like they'll see things play out in their head and be like, oh, wow, I could see this as like a, a 10 episode series on here. Right. Um, and I'm working on a sequel. I'm working on a sequel that I want to have out hopefully in 2022. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, you know, right now it's an underground classic. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. People catch up usually late to those things. So, yeah, um, definitely. Everybody got to lay the foundation now, you know, yeah, everybody got to check this out. Great, great story. You know, a realistic fiction novel, which is, you know, very interesting in and of itself. Like you said, you, you're coming from the sports uh, writing background. So the, this was uh, it's very impressive. I mean, the whole the process by which you put it together and then the final product is all very impressive. Appreciate it very, very much. And obviously appreciate the platform. Hopefully your listeners go get that and let me know what y'all think. You know, rate review five stars, though. Only five stars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No question about it. Brian, man, thanks, thanks again, man, for, for joining us. Uh, we got to talk about a couple of things, and, more, and sure. most importantly, the book. Really appreciate it, and we got it. Like you said, we uh, all the listeners out there, go check that out. We got to have you back on and uh, and get some uh, responses. Sure, and, and Murph, you know, we got other things planned. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we we go we gonna be back soon. Like pick some props is over with with me, you, Dex, and Gerard. But we we got some things planned that uh, people should see. Uh, before 2021 ends so mm -hmm. we're, we're excited about that as well but yeah mm -hmm. go go get hidalgo heights and go listen to the ain't hard to tell podcast all right man appreciate it yes once again of course that was brian fonseca uh writer and creative new author definitely pick up that book man definitely pick up that book you see all he put into it hidalgo heights the victims are taking up space um so definitely pick that up and support. Thanks to everybody listening. Continue listening to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever. Keep following us on social media at BrosPod on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, we are brought to you by Bet Online. So we will talk to you next week. And until then, take care.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.